Well, welcome to episode 21 of Lakeshore Christian Church's Midweek Podcast. I'm Pastor Randy Cordell. We're coming to you live from our studio at our Antioch campus here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Become a regular listener and invite your friends to join us as well. Uh, it's a great way for us to connect midweek. Uh, it is live at noon on Wednesdays, but if you miss it live, it is then posted and you can go back and watch it anytime on many popular po- podcast platforms. On today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome our guest, Darren Key. He's the CEO of Christian Financial Resources and the author of The Quest. Darren, it's great to have you here today. Oh, it's great to be here, Randy. It's amazing to think about uh, how much Nashville's grown since our ministry started partnering together. Absolutely. Lakeshore's been blessed to have CFR as a ministry partner for several years now. And we are about to begin a church-wide study using your book, The Quest. And I love that you were able to work it out in your schedule to come and be here for this podcast because that is going to start this coming Sunday. And I thought it'd be great for our listeners to be able to hear from the author of the book directly. So thanks for working this in your schedule. So tell me, Darren, why did you write the book and uh, end up calling it The Quest? Well, I got old this last year. You know, <laughs> I, I turned 50 years old. so Just I felt a like, kid. Just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I had something to finally say. Um, no, it's been a bucket list item for me for a while, actually, to write a book. Um, you know, I get to speak 40 weekends a year in churches and and 25 years of doing this. And so I had to ask myself, though, the question, do we need another Christian finance book? But what I've learned is sometimes saying things in a new way can resonate with people. And uh, maybe it just touches somebody in a different way. And so, you know, getting to speak to tens of thousands of people a year, I thought, I kept hearing over and over some things about stewardship that I thought I could address. And so the reason I called it The Quest is my mom, she was a second grade school teacher back in Kansas. And she taught me this passion for stories. And uh, her all-time favorite was The Wizard of Oz, a book and movie. Uh, She wrote her college paper about (laughs) it. I had to watch it every time it came on TV. Um, When I remember I was in middle school, I'd do a book report project, and she helped me build the entire Emerald City. And I (laughs) I think they still talk about that in my hometown in Kansas uh, today. Deep, deep into it. That's right. But so this whole idea of using quest stories, because uh, was kind of ingrained into me at a young age, and I really believe that our journey on how we handle whatever God has entrusted to us in this life is like a quest. And you know, there's four aspects to a quest that I talk about in a book. First is, in a quest, you go to places that you've never been. Secondly, you encounter challenges that you've never faced. Thirdly, you discover abilities that you've never used. And fourthly, you find something at the end you never expected. That's great. I love that concept. And one of the things in the first chapter of the book is the yellow brick road in the Wizard of Oz and comparing it to God's Word and how it relates to handling money. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so if you've seen uh, The Wizard of Oz or read the book, you know that the yellow brick road is what led Dorothy on her quest to meet the Wizard of Oz in the Emerald City. And, you know, people are always amazed at how God's Word, even though it was written thousands of years ago, is still relevant in 21st century America, and it can guide us with practical items like how to handle money. And as we want to grow in our understanding of God's will of traveling this life of God's Word can guide us kind of like that yellow brick road. And so one of the mistaken notions I'll tell you that I find with churches is that There's a belief that giving is sacred, but spending, borrowing, saving, investing is secular. Matter of fact, a lot of our churches 
will never do what you guys are going to do the next few weeks. They'll never talk about anything other than giving. And since we're stewards, we believe at our ministry that God's resources, everything is sacred. So we're taught a lot in his word about handling money. We read about the dangers of debt, the importance of saving, wisdom and in investing principles, teaching our kids, and even leaving a legacy. So God's word shares some really hard truths on money. You know, people uh, are surprised to read that Jesus tells us God, for his own reasons, entrusts various amounts to different people. Uh, we learn that our heart matters as it relates to finances. And we even read that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, it's just packed full of wisdom there. And I love the connecting it. Though I have to tell you, when I saw Wizard of Oz, I had flashbacks. As a little kid, the, the flying monkeys scared me to death. They really <laughs> did. And they're not flying monkeys in your book necessarily, but there is a dragon, right? There's this debt dragon you talk about in Chapter 2. Tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on that. Yeah, so one of my favorite quest stories as a kid that I had was The Hobbit. And uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, he was a Christian that was friends with the famous Christian apologist uh, C.S. Lewis. And in Tolkien's classic book, The Hobbit, the Hobbit has to confront a dragon called Smog. And Smog uses a bunch of slithery speech to try to persuade the Hobbit to do what he wants and to get what he wants. Well, sometimes debt is kind of like that slithery dragon, using our discontent to persuade us to do things that we will later regret. However, I will say, I don't think that all debt is bad, just like every dragon is not necessarily bad. And people are surprised when they read back in Deuteronomy that we see God telling Israel to be a lender to other countries. And so if all debt is wrong, it does not make a lot of sense that God would be telling Israel, hey, you're getting... You know, you're going to be a lender and you're going to put all these other peoples in sin. Now, I think without question, Scripture teaches us it is a blessing to be debt-free. There is so much in our culture attempting to drag us into debt. However, in the book, I talk about a three-point test that we use for what I call bad debt versus okay debt. Not good debt, necessarily. It's okay debt. So I will say that three-point test is a matter of opinion. Um, It's not Scripture. But basically, there's three things that meet that criteria. And so I challenge people to read the book and see if you can guess kind of beforehand what the three things are that are are okay debt. But I do want to say this, Randy. I I find as I travel the country, um, there's a lot of people that are struggling with debt. And uh, you've probably preached on it. I know my pastor has it at my home church, Second Kings chapter 4. And it really can give somebody hope about this widow that was struggling with this. And... Um, I just want to remind people that if you find yourself in that situation, we serve a God of hope, Absolutely. and there is a way out. Yes, Yeah, people need to hear that message of hope for sure, because there are people, I know in our church family and probably every church family around the country, that that's, that's a burden for them right now, and they're trying to find a way out, and they need to have that hope out there in front of them. Well, in chapter three, I know you shift from debt to saving and investing, and I, I know this is an area of passion for you. You talk about it in churches regularly, you know, almost every weekend. Uh, share more with us about that. Yeah, so growing up out, just outside of Kansas City, um, that's where the Oregon Trail started. And so these pioneers would pack up everything they owned, and they'd put it in their covered wagon. And if you're going to go on a long journey, you have to plan well. 
Um, imagine if you had to do that today. For me, I'd have to throw my golf clubs in there. You know, that's a, a, an essential. I don't know for you, Randy, what that would be. Probably not golf clubs. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But, you know, each weekend I do I go travel around the country trying to persuade families and businesses to plan well with what they put in their wagon as it relates to their journey with saving and investing. And I would say it all starts. The first thing I'm teaching every week in churches is it needs to have an emergency savings of ideally six months. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, we read the ant get praised for being such a good saver. Uh, in Genesis, we see Joseph save grain during the abundant times so that he was going to be prepared to meet needs in Egypt when the famine comes. Right. The peace you have with an emergency savings can take away a lot of stress. Plus, having cash can also serve as an opportunity fund. Um, there's so many times that I've seen people be able to take advantages of rough times with an investment or helping a family in need because they had that that opportunity fund too. So the Bible is filled also though with wisdom for investing, not just saving. Things in the Bible are talked about like don't pursue get-rich-quick schemes. I know so many people that wish they would have known that younger in life that got you know kind of fleeced by someone. Yeah. Um, instead, we're told that steady plotting brings prosperity in Proverbs. And then one of the wealthiest men to ever live, Solomon, shares the wisdom of investing in things like diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Plus, we're taught to be very careful around greedy people. And I would tell you today, I see it a lot of times in our world with some of these financial advisors that charge very high fees and commissions, and, and they've taken incredible advantage of a lot of seniors that I've seen traveling the country yeah. in my 25 years doing this. Yeah, that's sad when you see that. So being cautious about that is very important. Uh, you also mentioned some views. We were talking before the podcast a little bit about this, uh, some views on retirement that I really resonate with. I, I'm with you on this one. So tell us a little more about your views there. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I do believe we need to plan for a time when we might earn less or perhaps even nothing from a job. But boy, as you, as you age, I get to work our median investor at CFR 66 years old. There's so much wisdom with people. I, I hate when we're not utilizing that wisdom. And I think we got to be really careful in America, because if you read a lot of financial literature or you watch a lot of financial TV, it's what I see happening a lot of times is worshiping at the idol of retirement as the goal of our stewardship quest in life. And I think that's not the case. And I love this John Wesley quote. You know, he started the Methodist church years ago and he said, earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. I'm going to talk about him a little bit more later too. Yeah. Uh, great wisdom there. I know as I've gotten older, too, you mentioned this uh, about writing the book. We get to a place, I think, where we are really more equipped than ever later in life to share some of what we've learned, that wisdom that we've gained over the years. Why wouldn't you want to keep doing that in the best way you possibly could? So. Yes, I am always challenging people, hey, let's let's be our highest and best use for the kingdom. Right. Well, in chapter four, you go through three types of givers, and you share a compelling story there. I'd like for you to share that with our audience. Yeah, so one of the ways we demonstrate that we're made in the image of God is by being a giver. You know, God is a giver. God gave us the creation to manage. He gave us his son. He gave us our abilities, and he gives us every breath to generate our wealth. So that's the first thing that we need to always remember. We need to be givers like God since we're made in his image. 
And sadly, and this is shocking when I tell a lot of pastors this because they don't they don't ever get into the numbers and know what's happening in their church. But we find it's usually about anywhere from a third to half the church that hasn't really begun their giving journey. They start they're not giving. And so if you've not started giving, that is a great step in your stewardship quest. For those that have started giving, I talk about three levels. So the first level is just a giver. And it's someone who gives something. And it's even a person that might give as much as 10%. They might be a tither that they give to their total income. And that's fantastic. And I love meeting those. But then in the book, I talk about a second level that we read about in God's Word, and that is what I call a generous giver. And this is for those people that kind of is the next level that we read about where they they give a tithe, but then they also give offerings over and above that. Um, and so that's really neat when people get there. And then there's a third level, and it's a very rare level. But I have ran across some of these uh, people, and they're always an inspiration to me. And it's what I call a radical giver. And the, the example I like to use from Scripture in this is when Jesus meets with Zacchaeus. Oh, yeah. You know, Zacchaeus, his former tax collector, he was so impacted in his meeting with Jesus that he gave back half of what he owned to help the poor, plus he paid back four times to all the people he had cheated in his life. And so I've only met a few of these kind of people that do this, but I've met some people that have signed over their entire business to a giving fund where they give away all their profits and they live on a modest income. I've met other people. I've met a Harvard, a couple of Harvard business grads where, grads where what they do is they have set, capped their income out at a certain level, you know, and then they give away anything that they make above that, and it's just really amazing. That's great. What an impact you can have at that level too. I mean, all levels make an impact. But that's uh, that's impressive. And so then, says. yeah, and then in the story I love to share for anybody is there's a story I talk about in the book. I love sharing this story because I live in Orlando, Florida today, so it's a Florida story. Um, and it's uh, from Roberta Urshray in Panama City, Florida from 2017. And so she was with her family enjoying the beach there one afternoon when suddenly that she noticed her boys were further from the shore than really was safe. And she started to walk toward the beach to call them out and she started to hear them scream. Well, if you've been in Florida, you know, I grew up in Kansas. We didn't have these things called riptides in Kansas, but in Florida, um, they're, they're very dangerous. They can, they can take you away out quite a ways. A lot of people have passed away at times from that. So Roberta's instinct though was to dive in and go after them, but everyone was warning her it was going to endanger her life. But you know, she's their mom. She can't stand there and watch her family drown. So she ran out and she dove into the water well, predictably, she too quickly got caught up into the riptide, and it looked like that entire family was going to drown. Yeah. Well, that's when Jessica Simmons was with her husband, and she was enjoying her lunch right there at the beach, and she recognized right away what was going on. And so she decided to uh, spring into action. And so she started organizing total strangers into this human chain that stretched all the way from the beach to where the Ursray family was fighting for their lives. Dozens of people join hands to make that chain. And yes, the Ursray family was saved. Now, I love that story because it's powerful on a lot of levels. Um, I love it because it shows the life-saving power of people combining their efforts. Think about it. Those people were from different socioeconomic levels. Right. different races, different backgrounds, yet they were all used to be able to save that family. And I believe that's really a great picture of what happens when we're giving to the church and what Jesus does with those gifts. Yeah, what a great illustration of that. 
I, uh, we don't have it here. I wish I, I didn't think about it ahead of time, but I saw a picture that you had that showed they actually got a shot of those people they linked did. arm in arm. That's amazing. Yeah. What a great story. And it does illustrate well how that principle works. Well, I know something that a lot of people missed out on that uh, we need to break this cycle and, and, and make a difference on is a lot of us did not grow up being taught as children about handling money. Uh, and I know that's an important thing you're passionate about, too, even with your own kids. Talk about teaching children about handling money. Yeah, so when I have taken uh, small groups to the book myself, I always ask them this question, and I want to ask everyone listening right now. What grade would you give your parents on how they taught you to handle money from God's perspective? And I'm going to tell you, having done this for many years, the most common grades I hear are Ds and Fs. Yeah, my, my kids may... And be in that category, I'm not sure. (laughs) I doubt it. But then I ask parents, so if you're a parent right now, what grade would you give yourself on how you've done teaching your kids how to handle money from God's perspective? I will say the encouraging thing is most often people are saying Bs and Cs. And I think part of that is we have more resources than when I was a kid growing up. Um, So I think that's helpful. Uh, But you still have to be intentional. And, you know, I've done some strategies with my four kids. Uh, You know, I make them pay for things once they turn 12 years old. So they get an allowance. They have to pay for their haircut. They have to pay for clothes. If they ever want to, if we're eating out at a restaurant, they want to get a a Coke or something, they got to pay for that. (laughs) And so it really teaches them the value of money. And then the other thing I do is once they turn 13, I help them buy their first ever stock. And so I want to teach them about investing. And I make a big deal out of when it's time for them to give their first tithe to the church. Um, recently got to do that uh, with my son. That was a lot of fun. Uh, have had the pastor pray for that with him. Oh, got a wow. picture of it. It was really cool. But I've been teaching uh, at my kid's high school finance class uh, each year the last few years. And I love seeing how engaged these high school students are on wanting to learn how to handle money from God's perspective. Um, I even took my own four kids through the book over five nights, and that's not child abuse. (laughs) I will say the book was actually not designed specifically for kids, but I was amazed how well it translated due to all the quest stories that are in there. And I will tell you, as a dad, we probably had the best spiritual conversations over those five nights talking about these different topics. I can see that. Uh, I think the book lends itself well to parents doing this with their kids. I really do. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, too, uh, CFR is doing something that I really love and helping families and individuals do legacy planning. Tell us more about what what is that about? What is legacy planning? Yeah, so, you know, I'm a history buff. And so one of my favorite times uh, of history to read about is the Gilded Age. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have been to either the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina or the Breakers in um, Newport, Rhode Island. But uh, those are the the story of the Vanderbilts. And um, Cornelius Vanderbilt, he was a railroad tycoon, and he died in 1877 with a net worth that would be inflation-adjusted today to about $300 billion. Oh, my goodness. Well, what's crazy, and this is just mind-boggling to think about, about 50 years later, most of that was gone. Wow. Um, A newspaper wrote at the time, this quote, they said, the Vanderbilt case is an impressive lesson in the folly of attempting to found a family upon no better basis than the possession of money. What I find is many people in our churches, they don't have a legacy plan. 
Some need to update their legacy plan, and others need to completely reconsider their legacy plan since it's not based on leaving a God-honoring legacy. And, you know, I mentioned earlier a famous Methodist founder, John Wesley. You know, John Wesley, he made a nice income over the course of his life, although not as much as Cornelius (laughs) Vanderbilt. Uh, But it's said that when John Wesley was carried to his grave, he left behind a good library of books, a well-worn preacher outfit, and 135,000 members and 541 preachers of the Methodist Church. That's a legacy. Man. Yeah, that's right. And then generations later, what's wild for me to think about, some of those future members st- that started their spiritual journey in that church were my mom's side of the family. And that, of yeah. course, impacted me as now I'm in the Christian church, and now I lead a ministry that impacts hundreds of thousands of people each week and on churches that we've financed. And what's really cool for us is we're so passionate about this legacy thing that for all of our partners, and since Lakeshore is one of those, we help families get a no-cost will or trust done, um, and we just ask that they leave a legacy gift to their church and the ministry when they pass away one day, kind of like a legacy tithe or something like that. And and it's really cool to be able to do that. Now we've got tens of millions of dollars are going to be left to ministry one day, and God's going to write more stories. They're going to be really incredible. Right. Legacy will continue. We'll keep growing. Yeah, we'll have to have you guys come in and do uh, do some more educating with our church family on that. I look forward to that in yeah. the near future here. Well, CFR, the ministry that you lead, started in 1980. And not by you, I understand, because yeah. you, you've only been eight years old. Around <laughs> That's right. right. I did yeah. not do that. That's right. But some of our families at Lakeshore have already taken a step in their stewardship quest with CFR. Uh, take a few moments to share with us some ways people can do that, starting with CFR. How Uh, What are the options they have there? Yeah, Yeah. so, you know, I love that our ministry at CFR, we kind of get to be like a guide to help people manage their money in a way that's going to often help them earn a little bit more interest on their savings than secular options, but most importantly, that they get to know their dollars are being used to make loans to growing churches that are making a difference like Lakeshore. And the only reason we're able to do what we do is because families like here at Lakeshore that have parked a little bit of their savings at CFR where they get that good rate of return and help us make these loans possible. So thank you if you're one of those. If you're not, we'd love to have you join us. Um, there's kind of four ways you can do that. The first is for everyone. We teach it as wise for every family, every business to have a six-month emergency savings. You can open up a CFR Ready Access, link it to your local checking account, Use our mobile app, move money back and forth. You get to earn 2.5%, and you get to know you're funding hundreds of churches across the country like Lakeshore. And I've actually been traveling around Nashville the last couple of days visiting lots of other churches we finance too. Second is for some people. Uh, some people have more than that level of savings. And so what they want to do is they want to get a higher rate or maybe they even have an old uh, retirement account from a job they left and they want to get a fixed rate instead of watching the roller coaster of <laughs> the stock market. Yeah. So they open up one of our certificates and those pay in the threes right now. And so they get that fixed rate of return and they get to know they're still funding ministry and changing lives. And then the third way is just for a few families, but it's for families that give away more than $10,000 a year to ministries. They can open up what's called a giving fund, and it's a donor-advised fund. Kind of think of it like a charity checking account. They can do all their giving to their home church plus any other ministries they support. There are some massive tax advantages by doing your giving through a giving fund. Um, one of the things that I'm constantly out there teaching families as a Christian certified financial planner is friends don't let friends give cash unless that's all they have. Uh There's some other ways to give that are more tax efficient than giving out of your checking account. And so we can help that happen. And so we love seeing people save money on taxes. And our hope is that means they'll give more money away to ministry. 
And then the final way is just really for a select group of people. It's really for retirees. It's for people that, uh, you know, are, are at that stage where they're wanting to maybe take a little piece of their money and put it in a charitable gift annuity, a charitable trust. They get to earn 5 to 9% for as long as they live. They get a tax deduction. And then they get to know that when they pass away one day, they're going to leave a legacy that's going to impact ministry. And so, yeah, if uh, they want to get more information, they go to CFRministry.org um, or uh, be here on the weekend uh, when our, our team's here and they can talk to our, one of our team members. Yeah, one of the team members, David Powers, is going to be with us again here at Lakeshore on Sunday, November the 20th. Uh, we scheduled that, too, to be a part of this study we're doing churchwide. And we thought it'd be good timing to have David come in, and he'll be available to answer questions, give you more information. If you have uh, interest in doing any of those things that he just talked about, uh, he'll be happy to help you with that. So uh, we love our partnership with CFR. It's, it's blessed us, and we, we feel good about helping to bless others in the process uh, that uh, CFR is helping so many others. So in closing, Darren, uh, what do you hope people are going to do after we go through the study? They read the book. They go through the study. What would you like to see them do as a result? Well, when I'm out signing books, I always write my life calling verse, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. And I'll read, read that to you right now. Uh, Teach those who are rich in this world. That's really almost anybody that lives in America not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may take uh, experience the true life. You know, when I also write that verse, I write, me for G. And what that stands for, it's a little acrostic that's manage everything for God. Actually, if you come to our office in Orlando, you'll see on the wall this core truth, God owns everything, manage everything for God. So I would love to see every person being strategic with whatever God has entrusted to them to make an eternal difference. At a minimum, I hope that every person that reads this book takes the next step on their stewardship quest. I would encourage you, Send me an email if you do. It has been so satisfying reading those from across the country. I'm getting people that say, Darren, I finally went and did a legacy plan. I finally have now got some savings. I've got now a plan to get out of debt. Um, I'm teaching my kids this new way. Yeah. I can tell you as an author, you always wonder when you write these things, is anybody going to do anything? And, it, and, and it's so fulfilling when I get those emails and I, and I save every one of those. But my goal is, with my life calling, is that one day I know every one of us is going to stand before the creator of all things, and I want everybody to hear these words. I want them to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. That, that should be the goal, right? The ultimate goal for all of us is to be able to hear those words. Well, I just want to brag on, on Darren for a minute, too. As, as he's been leading CFR, it's been experiencing tremendous growth and uh, you've reached some milestones recently as an organization. Yeah, so, when I got there 25 years ago, we were $8 million and we're, uh, we're actually about to pass, uh, well, we just passed $1.2 billion of loans funded wow. in our history. So it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and I, and I know personally a lot of the pastors and churches around the country that have been beneficiaries of that, and I've seen how God is using that here and around the country, and I know I'm sure around the world too. And we just want to thank you again for the investment you've made in the kingdom and the way you're letting God use you and your gifts there. Thank well, you. it's a joy to be with partners with people like you, Randy, and churches like Lakeshore. So 
great stories that are being written. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being with us today. Uh, before we go, I just want to encourage you on a couple of things we have coming up here at Lakeshore. Uh, we encourage you, if you're not already connected to a life group, to get signed up. We have a lot of our life groups are going to be doing this study, uh, the quest, as a group. So we'd love for you to be a part of that with a group. But uh, you can go to our website at lakeshorechristian.com and click on that life group graphic there, and someone will follow up with you. You fill out that form. They'll help you get connected to a group for the study. We begin a quest for financial health that honors God God this Sunday. And books are available at both campuses, so you can pick up your book if you didn't already get it. We've had it out there the last couple of weeks, but if you haven't gotten one yet, uh, you can go ahead and get it this Sunday. It's not too late to start with us and get the book Sunday, and we'll start together on that quest. This Saturday, we've got Trunk or Treat coming up here. It's uh, from 2 to 4 on Saturday afternoon. This is a huge connecting point for us with our communities at both campuses. We have over a 1,000 kids that will come through with their families and be trunk or treating there. So if you'd like to help out with that, again, just go to our website, click on that Trunk or Treat graphic. You can sign up to do a trunk or just to volunteer to help out with that this Saturday. If you're new to Lakeshore and you haven't attended one already, we love for you to come to our welcome lunch, we call it. You find out more about our church. You get to meet some of the staff members, ask any questions you might have. Our next one is going to be Sunday, November the 20th at both campuses. It'll be after the 11 o'clock service at the Antioch campus and the 10 o'clock service at the Smyrna campus. But you need to register in advance. The lunch is free. We have child care available, but you need to register and make a menu choice on what lunch you would like to have so that we can have all of that ready for you. Well, we encourage you to invite family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers and join us as we continue to connect, grow, and serve here at Lakeshore Christian Church. We'd love to see you this Sunday at either campus. Thanks for joining us today.